Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. UFC, UFC, UFC. Howdy and welcome to not just a sports report, more specifically the UFC 288 predictions podcast. I've just finished a mountain of tape on all the fighters across this card, done a heap of study, uh, had pretty shit picks to be honest last weekend. I needed to just get myself back in the zone, uh, but today it is all about UFC 288, the card from the very bottom all the way to the top, giving some predictions as well. And this weekend in New Jersey, it is gonna be massive. We have a title fight in the main event, the return from retirement of a man who never lost the Bantamweight Championship. He left on top, now he is back. He's also a former flyweight champion. And not just that, uh, he is a former Olympic gold medal wrestler at the Beijing Games in 2008. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I am talking about none other than Triple C, Henry Cejudo. Uh, Very curious to see how this return goes down up against a man who has more than fairly held the division down in Henry Cejudo's absence. A guy who still doesn't quite get the respect, in my opinion, uh, that he deserves for this run that he is currently on. That is the current UFC bantamweight champion, Funkmaster Aljamain Sterling. That is our main event, bantamweight title. So many narratives, uh, which I will get to once I talk about the main event title fight. Uh, But we've also got a title eliminator, Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns, winner, absolutely 100% has to be a lock to fight the winner of Colby and Leon Edwards. That's my opinion. And look, Bilal has been making a ton of noise about getting this title shot. Uh, Now he gets the fight. This is the exact fight for Bilal uh, and the exact opponent that that just solidifies his case. I guess he was just one huge win and a huge ranked opponent. A big win over Sean Brady, but like a top five guy. This is Bilal's exact opportunity to earn exactly what he wants, that being a title fight. Uh, But Gilbert Durinho burns. He lost a title fight to Kamaru Usman. Uh, He's had nothing but highlight fights since. Just an amazing performer. Never says no to an opponent. He's always down to fight. In fact, he fought last month. Not only did he fight last month and get a victory over Jorge Masvidal, uh, but he also submitted Neil Magny in January this year. Uh, And he said, at the time, going into this year, he wanted two big finishes and a title fight. Well, he got the finish over Neil Magny. He didn't finish Jorge Masvidal. And look, Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, I didn't quite agree with Colby getting the next title shot, uh, but this has all worked out perfectly. Winner of this is next up. We'll of course have Colby and Leon Edwards, which will no doubt be a big matchup and welterweight division really starting to heat up. So a short notice co-main event, replacing what would have been a huge fight in itself, Charles de Bronx Oliveira having to pull out 
uh, against Benil Dariush, who, like Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, he is just one more win away from that next title shot. Many believe he should have already had that title shot, uh, but instead of that lightweight fight, we get a welterweight fight with equal or more importance. So huge matchup on short notice. Uh, then we've also got on the main card, Jessica Andrade at strawweight against Yan Xiaonan, who just quietly, not a lot of fanfare about her going into this card. Uh, but Yan Xiaonan, this could be the win she needs to get that title fight in her next bout. Uh, what else we got on the main card? Crone Gracie returns from out of nowhere to take on Charles Jourdain. That's going to be a fun main card opener. I'm just trying to rack my brain. There's one more. Uh, we'll get to it anyway. We'll fucking get to it. I'm sure it's a major matchup. I'm just forgetting it. But what's in store for today? Uh, well, I'm going to do a rapid preliminary predictions. So I'm not going to preview the fights as much. Just talk more naturally. I think it'll just... And I write a lot of notes and go through them. But I'm just trying to condense it. Because I'm like, not all this stuff I've written down needs to be said. But there's definitely some highlight information. So I'm going to go pretty quickly through the preliminary card. Just so that this isn't like an astronomically long podcast for listeners and then the main card i'll break it down i'll go right into my notes and really break down those fights so preliminary card it's going to be a lot of fun uh, i'll wrap that up as quick as possible and then move on to a big main card so that's basically what's in store i've wrapped uh talked a little bit about what's coming up on the main card but we're going to start from the early prelims and work our way all the way up this is UFC 288 Predictions, and it is now time to get amongst it. Now, I saw today that the uh, main or early prelims opening fight uh, got cancelled. So Daniel Santos, Willie Cat, was supposed to face Johnny Munoz Jr. I didn't check who had to pull out. I thought it might have been a weigh-in thing. But then I realized the weigh-ins haven't quite happened yet. Uh, so yeah, I'm not quite sure why that fight can't, got cancelled. I was going to look it up, but I was just like, you know what? Let's just get amongst it, as I said. Uh, but hopefully both are all okay. I don't know. I don't know what happened. So yeah, do your own research, respectfully. Um, but that one, I was going to go Johnny Munoz. Just because Bantamweight, the lower card ones, have been fucking me up a bit. So I was going like a reverse psychology to go the big underdog. Um, but... Yeah, that, that could have been a shaky start to the card. Anyway, let's get to our actual opener. We've got four early prelims fights. Starting off in the middleweight division, Joseph Holmes, known as the Ugly Man Joe, coming off a loss, got submitted by Jun Yong Park. Before that, he finished Alan Amadovsky, uh, but the former Dana White Contender Series fighter hasn't, hasn't been making a heap of noise at 185 pounds. Uh, but what is huge here, most definitely, is the fact I spoke about it on the last podcast. The middleweight division is craving stars right now. They're making a lot of matchups. We're going to start getting a lot of stars over the next year. Like I reckon going into 2024, the top 15 of the middleweight division, there could be some totally unexpected names in there. And expected, like guys like Caio Baralho. Uh, but here, starting this card off in a spotlight position on a pay-per-view, I'll be watching it, Ugly Man Joe up against Brazilian Claudio Ribeiro. 
uh, earned his co- uh, contract on the Contender Series. I can't speak fucking English. Had an energy drink and just all hyped up. Um, but Claudio Ribeiro, yeah, had a finish in under a minute to earn a contract on Contender Series. Then in his debut, look, this guy is an explosive knockout specialist. But in his debut, he got floored in the second round by Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who cut quite the promo after the fight uh, in an interview uh, toward Joaquin Buckley, who he's already fought before. But uh, Claudio Ribeiro, 10 and 3 record. And yeah, if I can summarize this guy quickly, fucking powerful knockout artist in the middleweight division. Whereas Joseph Holmes, he's a submission guy and he's a grappler. So there's the stylistic matchup. Now, Joseph Holmes does have a win at UFC level. He's also got a decent height and reach advantage. And Claudio Ribeiro, 0-1 inside the UFC. So he actually hasn't won at this level yet. But Joseph Holmes could be the right opponent. Stylistically, what it comes down to is whether Holmes can get his grappling going. And if he can, he very well may submit Claudio Ribeiro, uh, Joseph Holmes with an 8-3 record. So both men have had three losses before. Now, Ribeiro has been submitted, but I don't believe Joseph Holmes has been knocked out. Uh, But as far as my pick here, I'm going Claudio Ribeiro by knockout. Now, when I studied him for the Abdul Razak Al Hassan fight, I went with Al Hassan, uh, but Ribeiro, um, yeah, I went with Al Hassan because he was the underdog. Uh, But Ribeiro, when I watched tape that first time, I was like, wow, I'm impressed by this guy. And then, of course, I watched tape again for this fight. And yeah, I like Claudio Ribeiro in this matchup quite a lot. So I'm going to take Claudio Ribeiro over Joseph Holmes by knockout. I think this is a big statement. A lot of people won't know who this guy is. A lot more people will know who he is uh, if he can get a knockout finish here. So let's lock in the first fight of the card. Claudio Ribeiro by knockout. Then flyweight division action. Zalgos Zumagulov, 34-year-old from Kazakhstan has not been in winning form as of late. Just, yeah, he's a very solid fighter, super durable, but the wins just haven't been coming. 14-8 and record, uh, and he's giving up a decent reach and height advantage here against an 11-0 and undefeated prospect in Rafael Estevam, making his official UFC debut. 11-0, and like I said, and Zalgas is super durable, but in this fight... I, I see. I foresee a finish, and it's really hard because I think Zalgas mainly he pretty much loses by decision. But I'm gonna go Rafael Estevam by technical knockout. I think maybe some kind of ground and pound situation, uh, but that in terms of betting would be like knockout. So I just say knockout instead of technical knockout. Um, it's just a bit easier. But I think this one will be a technical knockout or knockout. Uh, and if he can do it, look, Zalgas Sumagulov, super durable. So it will be a massive statement. However, Zalgas does have the experience edge. Uh, but I've seen heaps from Zalgas. Haven't seen too much other than the tape I've watched of Rafael Estevam. He's 11-0. And a lot of the time it can be a trap because it is his UFC debut. You've got to consider these 11 fights weren't at UFC level. Uh, but I like it. This time, I like it. So 11-0, I think you can go go, English, sorry, it's this fucking energy drink. Uh, Rafael Estevam, I think he can go 12-0, and I think he can do it by knockout, and if my numbers are precise, that 
according to my predictions, is two knockouts to start the night. Booyah, hopefully. Either way, finishes are good. Finishes are what we want. Then we have middleweight diva uh, division. The division. Now I'm really falling apart. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have fucking had that energy drink. Uh, but we got Phil Hawes. Phil No Hype Hawes. That's his nickname. I'm not dissing him. 12-4 and four record. He's someone, like I say, the middleweight division looking for stars. The UFC have kind of tried to get him there. He's had tough matchups and he's had a lot of great wins. But it feels like when Phil Hawes is close to breaking through, to becoming like a top 15 guy. And look, Israel Adesanya has always shown a willingness to take on anyone. Like he mentioned Gregory Rodriguez earlier this year as someone he was keeping an eye out for. Uh, but then Rodriguez lost. So Phil Hawes has had chances, but just hasn't quite been able to convert it. 12-4, and four, up against a Russian in Ikram Alaskarov. Uh, now, 13-1, and one, and his only loss, Kamzat Chemayev. Kamzat Chemayev. So his only loss in his career is Kamzat Chemayev. Other than that, he is 13 wins. So Ikram Alaskarov, uh, this guy... I think they're going to build this guy for a bit of hype. And in this one, I'm going with Ikram. Phil Hawes, really solid. Has underrated wrestling, a very powerful hands. And look, this is Ikram's UFC debut. So again, you never know. He could get exposed. It's a big position to be in. Phil Hawes has been there before. So if he can get his hands going, I mean, this matchup could be anything. But I'm going with Ikram Aleskarov. I keep saying it, middleweight division. It is looking for a lot of new stars to build at the moment. And this guy, there's a narrative there already. Only lost to Kamzat Chemayev. Who knows? Maybe they run that back at some point. Uh, and he has a chance to build. I like what I've seen from him in the tape and doing my research of Ikram's road to this point. And Phil Hawes, I've had a, a very big sample size. Like I've watched all his fights in live, real time. I've watched tape beforehand many times. He's a pretty active fighter and a very underrated fighter. Uh, but yeah, I just think Ikram, I think they're going to build a guy here. I think the hype, the hype could begin on this card. I'm going Ikram by submission as well, which not easy to submit full whores, but I think that's what this guy is about. A lot of his, his game is like dominating from top position on the ground. And I think if Phil whores can't keep up in that realm, then Aleskarov, he's going to get that submission. So let's lock in third pick of the night. And if my numbers again are precise, that would be three finishes to start the card. Fingers crossed. Uh, Ikram Aleskarov over Phil Hawes by submission. And then heavyweight division action to round off the early prelims portion. 38-year-old Parker Porter, 13-8. and eight, Coming off a big knockout loss in the first round against Justin Taffer in Perth, uh, up against Braxton Smith. Didn't I watched a little bit of tape and interviews of this guy. Five and one, all five wins by knockout. Uh, yeah, this guy, pretty explosive. He's a big unit too. Uh, very confident in his athletic ability is Braxton Smith from listening to his interview. And he's the underdog. Now, Parker Porter, very solid. Again, there's on this card early on, there's a few fights that have experience discrepancies. There are like good up-and-comers, very solid prospects, up against guys who've just experienced these crowds in this big stage before. Uh, so Parker Porter, 
Who knows? I think decision is how he would get it done if he wins. But I'm going to go the underdog here. Braxton Smith. Didn't get to see too much of his tape. But he's only 33. And now he does give up a big reach advantage to Parker Porter. And I look, I think if this one goes the distance, Parker Porter wins. But it's a heavyweight Hoss Fest. And I'm, I'm crunching the numbers. Let's go four finishes to start the night. Wouldn't that be fucking epic? Uh, Braxton Smith, I'm locking him in over Parker Porter. Have a lot of respect for Porter. Uh, but Braxton Smith, he's a new bloke on the heavyweight division block. And again, we've had a large sample size from Parker Porter. Respectfully, doesn't look like he'll be a title challenger at any point. Um, but Braxton Smith, he's a new fresh face. Who knows how far he could go, so let's back him in here. Braxton Smith, the underdog. Saw a bit of value in that. So Braxton Smith by knockout. He's had five career wins by knockout. Parker Porter is coming off a knockout loss. And I'm just... The juices are in the air. Let's get some finishes to start the night. Braxton Smith by knockout over Parker Porter. And now, let's get into the preliminary card. Next up, a highly touted strawweight division contest. We've got the fifth ranked contender, Marina Rodriguez, uh, up against Werner Jandaroba, uh, 18 and 3 record, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu specialist. Uh, and this is going to be a classic case, I think, of striker Marina Rodriguez, uh, who's in the top, where is she, top five, up against Werner Jandaroba. And her grappling and her submission game, she is ranked in the top 10, but looking to take that position in the top 5. Now, of course, Marina Rodriguez looked like she was on the verge of a title shot. She racked up wins over the likes of Michelle Waterson Gomez in a 5-round decision main event. She beat Mackenzie Dern uh, 5 rounds. She had a split decision win over Xiaonan Yan. Yan Xiaonan, I've got it mixed up there. She's on this card as well. Uh, but then, a fucking main event. Nearly forgot what I was going to say. Main event lost. She got TKO by Amanda Lemos. Or Lemos. So, Marina Rodriguez, she's looking to bounce back. She's still definitely in the mix. But now, she has to fight backwards and defend her position uh, in this contender sort of area. Top five is where you want to be uh, if you want to get a title shot, basically. Uh, now... For Marina Rodriguez, four first round finishes, six of her wins by knockout, uh, and nine of 16 wins by submission. So she's got a very uh, wide range in terms of her skill set, and that will serve her well up against Vanna Jandaroba. Mixed form in the UFC, a loss to Mackenzie Dern, a bounce back win through an arm injury up against Kanako Murata, then a decision loss up against Amanda Hibas. And most notably and recently, uh, Vanna getting the win May last year over Angela Hill by decision. Uh, but Vanna, her main attack is submission. 13 of her career wins by submission. Eight first round finishes on her resume. And for Janda Roba, now is the time for her to really make her way forward within this division. And it's a massive night all around for the strawweight division. Uh, you've got a massive contest in Jessica Andrade. And, of course, Yan Xiaonan. I'm just trying to think. Like, Rose Namajunas, I'm not sure whether she's got a fight coming up. You've got Tatiana Suarez, uh, who's recently returned. 
She looks a good, looks like a future champion. Carla Esparza still in there somewhere. Uh, and of course the champion, Zhang Wei Li. Uh, so it's a huge night to try and work out what's going on in the landscape of the strawweight division. And it's a very relevant night for four contenders to press their case as to why they should get a title shot later on this year. Now, who have I got winning this preliminary card fight? I'm going the underdog. She's one of my, actually both of these women are a couple of my favorites in the division. Huge fan of Marina Rodriguez, huge fan of Vena Jandaroba, and I'm gonna back the underdog here. I'm going Jandaroba. Uh, now, why? I just think she has elite jiu-jitsu, and whilst Marina Rodriguez, very skilled in that realm herself, and also has a striking advantage, I think Rodriguez is going to be looking to keep this fight standing, and I think Werner has the skills to get it to the mat, and she just has mad jiu-jitsu tops. Jiu-jitsu. Can't speak English, can't speak Brazilian, or Portuguese. Brazilian. Fucking hell. Ah, the wheels are falling off. I'll keep that in, because that's just silly. Brazilian, not a language. Portuguese, a language. Uh, but I'm both Brazilian, both Portuguese speaking. I'm going Werner, Jandaroba by submission. Let's lock it in. I like it. I'm sure the odds are nice. Haven't had a look at those yet, but we're locking it in. Werner Jandaroba for an underdog victory by submission over Marina Rodriguez. That would earn Werner a spot in the top five. And then probably in her next fight, she'd be looking at one more win before a title shot. So huge night for both women. I'm backing Jandaroba by submission. Now, let's get amongst the next fight. Welterweight division action up next, and a guy I've been keeping tabs on for a while now, since his UFC debut, in fact. Well, he returns to action. That is knockout artist Chaos Williams. He will be making the walk to the octagon for the first time in 364 days as he takes on Brazilian debutante Rolando Bedoya. Now, I mentioned just before, Chaos Williams, he's one of my personal favorites. Now, favorite in the welterweight division is Jack Della Maddalena. I'll tell you that much for free. Uh, but Chaos Williams is up there. He's had a couple of untimely losses, but he's someone outside that top 15 who I still think is in the mix for a spot in the rankings. Now, Chaos has devastating knockout power, and he entered the UFC as a 9-1 prospect. His debut was against Alex Morono, who since that point has been performing really solidly. He too could be kind of someone that no one's really talking about, who could get a position in the latter part of that top 15. Uh, but Chaos Williams against Alex Morono, 27 seconds it took to get the knockout on debut. And from that point, I was like, okay, shit. I'm remembering this guy. Then in his sophomore outing, Chaos Williams had a 30 second knockout win over Abdul Razak Al Hassan. And then I was really paying attention. I was like, okay, this guy, his name's fucking, his name's Kalen, but fucking chaos with a K. <laughs> That's the kind of shit that I'm fucking about. So I fuck with Chaos Williams. Uh, but after those two knockouts that spanned about a minute in total, Chaos lost by decision to Michelle Pereira. So that was kind of the point where he was looking, you know, to really surge and take that momentum and hype. 
and push himself to those big fights. And Michelle Pereira, a really exciting fighter. Uh, then after that, Chaos bounces back with two wins. Uh, Matthew Semmelsberger by decision and a TKO over Miguel Boeza or Baeza. And then a split decision loss against Randy Rudeboy Brown, who after that fought Jack Della Maddalena in Perth. Massive main card, pay-per-view fight. So that's where Chaos could have been. Like I said before, some untimely losses, but he's there or thereabouts. What we don't know so much, though, is the unknown entity in this fight, that being the debutant from Peru, Rolando the Machine Bedoya. The Machine tells me that this, I mean, it takes two to tango, and I think we got two guys who are fucking down to fight. Chaos, the heavy favorite, and I think he should be. Now, I watched some tape of Rolando Bedoya, but this is his UFC debut. He's going to be bringing a few extra tricks, uh, and this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Bedoya trains at Shootbox Academy, uh, so he's going to have a lot of great team around him. And he, most importantly, he's on an 11-fight win streak. An overall record of 13-1, and one, his only loss by decision. So he's never been knocked out. 13 wins. In fact, he has won 11 straight. So it's been a long time since this guy has even tasted defeat. But Chaos Williams, like I said, he's there or thereabouts. So for Chaos, this is really that huge test. If he gets beaten here, that, in the bigger picture of the whole division, really sets him back. And that doesn't mean he can't come back from it. But then Rolando Bedoya immediately thrusts himself into the position. That's kind of fucking... That sounded a bit wrong, didn't it? Um, it's kind of how MMA works. It's just the game. So, Chaos Williams, this is a really crucial fight. It's not his biggest name opponent, but a very dangerous opponent. A guy on a debut on winning streak, 13-1. and one. Seven of his wins have been by decision. Uh, so that serves Rolando well, because I think that's definitely the best path to victory against Chaos Williams. You do not want to stand and bang with a man named Chaos with a fucking K. Uh, now, looking at the tail of the tape, thanks to Google, we don't have any height or reach for Rolando Bedoya. So that swings me more confidently to Chaos Williams' height. I mean, this guy could be four feet tall. I don't know how tall Bedoya is. And I forgot, the tape was a few days ago. Now, Kalen Williams, he is 29, Rolando 26, and the Ox Fighter, Chaos Williams, such an epic fucking name. A 13 and 3 record, six first round finishes, seven wins by knockout, and he is a Mercy Lago MMA representative. Uh, path to victory here for Chaos Williams, knockout for Bedoya, decision. And my final thoughts. Obviously, I've been keeping a watch on Chaos Williams, so I have a vested interest here. But that in itself is a huge opportunity for Rolando Bedoya, because I'm sure a lot of people are watching Chaos Williams with interest. So if Bedoya can come in and pass this huge assignment on debut, I mean, he's immediately, I mean, probably get uh, another different fight. Like, I don't know if they'll move him forward straight away, but he would... He wouldn't be far off. He's on a huge winning streak. Uh, but I'm going Chaos Williams. And yeah, I'm sure you can tell I'm hyped about him. Been keeping tabs on him. This guy can knock people out. So 
There's not much value in this pick on the betting market. I don't like how short-priced Chaos Williams is, but I do like his knockouts. So Chaos Williams by knockout. Uh, why? I just think it's a huge step up in competition for Bedoya, whilst Chaos, he's fighting backwards. He's accrued some experience against guys like Randy Brown, Miguel Baeza. He's had tough fights. Um, so, yeah, I think Chaos Williams, that experience will serve him well. And he's one of my fighters to watch. So if you don't know, Chaos Williams, Chaos the Ox Fighter, Chaos with a K, Williams. I, I think you'll know after this weekend. Let's lock it in. Chaos Williams by knockout. It's time to get amongst the next fight. Up next, two light heavyweights just outside of the division's rankings have a fight to determine who moves forward, who gets a ranked opponent next. You've got Kennedy Zinchukwu, uh, African Savage, 11-3 record for the 30-year-old, up against the 33-year-old in Devin Brown Bear Clark, 14-7 record, and he's giving up a considerable discrepancy in both height and reach. So Kennedy Nzichuku or Zenchuku, uh, he is he is the much larger frame fighter. Now looking at the worldwide topology rankings, these guys really are just outside of the UFC's rankings. Kennedy is ranked 20th and surging toward that number next to his name, whilst Devin Clark ranked 22nd. Recent form for Zenchuku, a two-fight win streak carrying into this one, finishes over Carl Robeson and most recently, Ion Kutalaba, a fight that unexpectedly at the last minute got main event duties. So it was a three round last minute main event and Kennedy Zinchukwu really took that spotlight. It showed an evolution of his game, which he's done in his last two wins. Uh, and it's another step up for him really in levels of competition up against Devin Clark, who look, he had a fight at heavyweight last year and finished William Knight, who's since been cut, then lost to Azamat Mirzakhanov, who is definitely a freak of nature. Uh, but Devin Clark, he's coming off a win over Darwin Jung. So there you go. Devin Clark coming in on winning form, as is Kennedy. And as far as what's at stake, well, it's very clear. A shot of breaking into the top 15, and the opportunity, realistically, to fight toward a title shot. Now, for Kennedy, African Savage Zinchukwu, he has an 11-3 record, as I mentioned, 8 of 11 wins by way of knockout, and he is a Dana White Contender Series product, training at Fortis MMA. Zuchuku, he has a wrestling base, so most of his finishes have been knockouts slash technical knockouts, uh, but he's showing a real evolution and a level up in his wrestling, uh, so that leads me to believe maybe this one does go the distance. Uh, now Devin Clark, he has a 14-7 record, Nine of his 14 wins by decision. Again, that kind of leans in to the fact that maybe this one goes the distance. Devin, like Kennedy, also has a wrestling style and he represents Jackson Wink MMA. As far as my final thoughts, look, I think Kennedy's Zikchukwu, it just seems like the right time for him to get that next win. They're not rushing him uh, into the contender status just yet. This is the kind of fight that makes sense for him to win or lose. Like that's it's a tough stylistic matchup. But I just feel like for African Savage, 
it just something feels right about the time to get this win here and then face a ranked opponent and have his chance, have his opportunity that he's earned through grinding. Uh, he's had plenty of fights now, and I'm going Kennedy Zinchukwu. I'm going to go by knockout slash technical knockout, uh, but yeah, this one could definitely go the distance, so best bet is probably knockout or um, decision, like a double chance bet, but I'm going Kennedy Zinchukwu by knockout. I just feel like if he really wants to storm the rankings, like I think a finish here, and he's in the top 15. So if Kennedy can come out and achieve that finish, which he has in his last two fights, well, that would thrust him straight into the mix as far as the rankings. His experience, he's accumulated over a lot of fights now, holds him in good stead up against someone who is very experienced in Devin Clark. Uh, but let's lock this one in. I feel we got a potential contender on the rise, at least a top prospect if he wins this one. Kennedy Zichukwu over Devin Clark by way of knockout. Side chance, best bet uh, is the double chance, knockout or decision for Kennedy Zichukwu. This one has a bit of a decision feel about it, but I just, I think Kennedy's going to storm those rankings. Simple as that, so we're locking it in. Kennedy Zichukwu by knockout. Now, right before we jump into a stacked main card, there is one more fight of this preliminary portion. And it is a banger. It is a fight of the night slash performance of the night contender. No doubt about it. A featured prelim up next. Let's get amongst it right away. Setting the tone for what is ahead with plenty of attention in this spotlight division. A contest at 155 pounds with high stakes. These guys, they're in a sweet spot of their career right now. They seem like they're, they're coming toward their peak. So this is going to be a banger, no doubt about it. You have Drew Dober tied with Dustin Poirier for the most uh, knockouts in UFC lightweight division history. Drew Dober setting out here uh, to break the record and hold the record on his own for most knockouts in lightweight division history. So whilst this guy not quite yet a contender, he's had his chances he had a fight against Islam Makashev uh, whilst Islam was on the come up. Uh, but Drew Dober, this guy is for real, taking on Matt Steamroller Favrola, who enters New Jersey in search of his third straight finish. So both guys, they've been racking up finishes, and this just can't be anything but exciting for as long as it lasts. Uh, but I'll speak a bit about Steamroller Favrola first because the New York native has truly been living up to his nickname of Steamroller, and Matt Frivola, he surges into this fight on the back of a hometown showing and another emphatic stoppage. Now, Frivola had back-to-back -back losses, and at one point, he was on somewhat shaky grounds, but works with a great team, uh, but he lost to Armin Sakurian, who is a Tsarukian. He is definitely a contender, in the mix at 155 pounds. Then of course the famous seven second knockout uh, against Terence McKinney. But Frivola has bounced back in a big way. That McKinney loss obviously hasn't gotten to him because he came out against Gennaro Valdez who was making his debut. But Gennaro Valdez is explosive, he is dynamic, he is always looking for the finish and he pushes such a crazy pace. And with Gennaro Valdez, he's shown 
uh, on his on the come up that he can get rocked and just you know be in an absolute war and still find a way uh, through fatigue through just getting into the fucking work he still can find a way to get a finish well Frivola came out and destroyed him three minutes and 15 seconds into the first round a TKO win in January last year for Favola. And then at the back end of last year, uh, he appeared on the card Izzy Pereira, the first one where Pereira got the knockout. And he was up against Otman Azaitar, who the whole Potato Gate incident and now he'd be getting tested all the time. And Favola was saying, like, it, I'm going to say allegedly, but I'm pretty fucking allegedly certain that Otman Azaitar was on alleged performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, but and in this fight, I think he was clean. I think this was like, you know, he was getting tested heaps after the potato incident. He got cut. And I was listening to the interviews beforehand, and Frivola's like, I'm going to fucking finish this guy. It's his first time fighting clean. I'm going to fucking finish this guy. And I was like, okay. I went Azaita in that one. Uh, but Frivola came out and just destroyed him. So Steamroller Frivola, a win here. And look, both guys, this is a top 15 caliber fight. And look, Paddy Pimblett could be someone that Frivola could call out after a win. But I think they're almost beyond that. Unless the UFC, which could definitely happen. And if Paddy is healthy, which right now he's not. But they could potentially look to set up Paddy versus the winner of this uh, as like Paddy's chance to break into the top 15. But... Ultimately, yeah, this one has rankings implications written all over it. And Favola, in the finest form of his career, the 32-year-old, he's just an explosive fella. He boasts six first-round finishes. He has three wins by knockout, three by submission. Uh, but the thing, in terms of a knockout, Drew Dober has the chin of doom. I don't know, it's hard to knock this guy out. Uh, Favola, he is a brawler. But the thing is, do you really want to get in a brawl with someone like Drew Dober? Uh, now, Steamroller's UFC record, four wins, three losses, one draw, comes in on a two-fight win streak. And the highlight notes for Matt Frivola, in this highlight fight of the UFC 288 prelims in New Jersey, uh, Frivola's pro record overall, 10 wins, three losses, one draw. Uh, but the danger point for Frivola in this matchup, two of his three losses have come by way of knockout. Drew, deli- uh, Drew Delivery, Drew Dober, uh, known for his delivery. What a bloody mix-up of knockouts. So two of Frivola's three losses by knockout, uh, but six of his ten wins have been first-round finishes. So the more you read into this, the more it's just like, holy fuck, this fight is going to be dope. Uh, then you have Drew Dober. He is out of Denver, Colorado. That's where he's fighting out of. Um, Elevation Fight Team. That's his gym. Had to let it come to me. Dobit is 34 years old. He's looking to break the record for most knockouts in the division's history. And he's on a three-fight win streak. And like Frivola, Dobit experienced back-to-back losses that really set him back. Firstly against Islam Markashev, then against Brad Riddell. Uh, But in both of those, Dobit's tough. Like, he showed nothing but toughness in those losses. Then he comes out against Terence McKinney, the same fighter who knocked Matt Frivola out in seven seconds. And it looked like it could be a similar story. McKinney absolutely rattled Drew Dober early, but that chin of doom came into play and Dober just went, nah, 
fuck this, and finish Terence McKinney. That was an epic moment, and that was where I was truly like, alright, Drew Dober, you're actually, you're actually next level. Then after that, a uh, punch to the body finish against Rafael the turn Alves, so two consecutive knockouts, that counted as a knockout, and then he knocks out Bobby Green, who traditionally, very tough guy to knock out. Usually he'll go the distance, but he had those hands low. Bobby Green in the early stages, uh, he was actually all over that fight, but Drew Dober, three consecutive knockouts, Frivola coming in, two consecutive knockouts. I don't think this fight is going to go the distance. Now, Drew Dober is a freestyle fighter, like I said, fighting out of Denver, Colorado, and representing Elevation Fight Team. Dober has 13 wins by knockout, nine first-round finishes, and over his UFC tenure, Drew has had 12 wins, seven losses, and one no contest. He also has three fight of the night bonuses, as well as three performance of the night bonuses. And Dober, with an overall record of 13 knockout wins, six submissions. Uh, so he's a fight finisher. Seven of his victories have come by the judges, but 19 of his wins have come inside the distance. Uh, he's been submitted four times. So that could be Frivola's path to victory to submit Drew Dober. Uh, stylistically, fight of the night potential, no doubt. I expect predominantly striking. Finish factor at a premium. I think someone gets knocked out here. And as far as what's at stake, Drew Dober is ranked right now. So he has to defend his position, which is 14th, up against Frivola. If he wins, he takes that spot. And I just think Paddy Pimblett, beyond both these guys right now, whoever wins could get a top 10 opponent next. They've had a high level of activity. They're very exciting. They've been achieving finishes. I mean, this is, this is a big fight right here to lead us in to the main card. Let's lock in a prediction. I'm going Drew Dober by knockout. I think this is his masterclass performance to really announce himself as a guy who could fight toward a title shot. He had the loss against Markashev, but there's time to bounce back. I think masterclass is in store here. Drew Dober by knockout. We're locking it in, and now we are moving on to the main card. I spoke at the start about the main event. I've spoken a bit already about these fights on the main card. Uh, so now, let's just get amongst it. Five fights to get into. A title fight headliner with so much storyline to be covered. So let's launch headfirst into it right now. Five fights to get into, UFC 288 from the Prudential Center. Let's start with the featherweight division. Charles Jourdain up against Crone Gracie, and it has been over three years since Crone Gracie fought in the UFC. A family member of MMA royalty, Crone carries the famous Gracie surname with pure Brazilian jiu-jitsu chops that he has built up over years of brushing shoulders with the best. Now Gracie has been on the sidelines for years and he finally emerges to kick off this stellar main card where he takes on the French-Canadian fan favourite Charles Air Jourdain. Uh, but I'll start with Crone Gracie. Uh, given that he's had a fair layoff, some newer fans to MMA uh, might not know a lot about Gracie. Now to start his mixed martial arts career, the jiu-jitsu practitioner had five straight wins including a successful UFC debut 
where he submitted Alex Caceres in the first round. Uh, but the last time that we saw Crone Gracie was a decision loss up against Cub Swanson in October 2019. Now for his opponent, Charles Jourdain, who in the UFC overall has had four wins, five losses, and one draw. He's an exciting striker. He has hype behind him, but yeah, when you look at his overall UFC record, he hasn't had the greatest run. He has four first-round finishes, and Charles Jourdain, 12 of his 13 career wins have been stoppages. So he likes to chase the finish. He will have that intent in this fight, no doubt. And Jourdain, he entered 2022 off a win over Andre Ewell. So last year, he was coming in hot, uh, but then he went one win, two losses last year, unable to capitalize on the buzz and work his way toward the rankings. And Jourdain is coming off back-to-back -back losses. A majority decision against Shane Burgos, great fight, and a unanimous decision loss against Nathaniel Wood in France, Paris. Uh, so Jourdain, he's going to be looking for the bounce back. Crone Gracie, he doesn't tell us a lot, so I'm, I'm not sure, exactly sure what he's looking for. Now Gracie, 34 years old, Jourdain, 27. Um, and as far as the rankings picture, this one is a fun pay-per-view worthy main card opener rather than an out-and-out -out jostle for a position in the rankings. Joshel, uh, Jostel, Jostel, <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, now, Ice Cream Crone, Crone Gracie, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert. He is a trainer at his own gym, Crone Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and all five of Gracie's career victories have come by way of submission. So there is his clear path to victory, and four of Crone's five wins have been first round submissions. So that could be a real value play. Uh, Jordan. Look, Wood, Nathaniel Wood in their last fight, it was the grappling and the wrestling that really got the win. So Jordan, he's been put on his back a few times. And against someone like Crone Gracie, you cannot afford to do that. Now, the one loss on Gracie's record, the decision in his last fight against Cub Swanson, and Ice Cream Crone's specialty, it's a submission game. Uh, now, the Gracie name, it is held in high regard around the world in mixed martial arts uh, circles. I can't speak English, fucking hell. Uh, the Rio native, he's gonna be out to add to his legacy this weekend. Against Charles Jourdain, uh, now he has eight wins by knockout, four wins by submission. But when you look at the losses for J uh, Jourdain, five of his six losses by decision. Uh, so it's very hard to finish Jourdain. But the path to victory in terms of a finish Jordan, it would be to win by knockout. Gracie, it would be by submission. But I see this one being a close and very entertaining affair. I think it goes the distance. And I think, but I'm not 100% sure on this one. Because there are question marks around his uh, grappling defense. I'm going Charles Air Jordan though. I just think he has a higher level of activity. Uh, and I think he gets it done by decision. I think he edges it out. I think it's a thrilling decision. I definitely think he drops at least one round. He can't afford to drop more than one round. But I think there's at least a phase of this fight where Crone Gracie is really imposing himself in the grappling realm. But I like Charles Jordan. I think he can get it done here. Not 100% sure, but we're going to lock it in and move on to the next. Charles Air Jordan over Crone Gracie uh, by decision. This is going to be an awesome fight. Great way to start the card. And then we'll move on 
to another featherweight fight, this time a short notice. Two different opponents pulling out and we now arrive at an intriguing matchup. So let's get amongst it. Alright, given the short notice nature of this fight, this is also going to be a short format prediction featherweight fight between Movzar Evloev uh, and Diego Lopez. Lopez replacing Bryce Mitchell at the very last moment, who had to withdraw. And it's a seriously tough assignment on debut uh, for Diego Lopez. He appeared on Dana White's Contender Series a couple of years ago against Joe Anderson Brito, uh, lost by technical decision. So he didn't get the contract. He's gone two wins, one loss since. Uh, but now he takes on a, a phenom within the division, a potential guy who's on his way toward a title shot at 145 pounds. That is Movza Evloev. Uh, now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Movza Evloev in this one, obviously. And something tells me he's gonna get a finish, but yeah, I'm gonna go decision. I'm gonna go decision here. I'm gonna go Movza Evloev by decision. Short notice match. Short prediction. I think he dominates the fight. 30-27. Something tells me he's gonna get a finish. I just trying to work out what kind of finish he gets. I'm just like, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to go decision. So let's lock it in. I think Lopez can put up one hell of a fight. And if he wins, he'd be in the top 15. I mean, what a way to announce yourself at UFC level. Uh, but let's lock in the next pick on this 288 card. Movzar Evloev to get it done over Diego Lopez by unanimous decision. Three fights left, which means we're up to the marquee portion of this card at the Prudential Center. Uh, we've got a huge co-main event, title eliminator, a championship main event. Uh, but this next fight between contenders, I mean, this is high stakes as well. So now we really get in to the business end of this 288 card. Let's get amongst our next fight in the women's strawweight division. All eyes will be on two fearless warriors this weekend as Jessica Andras drops down to the division that she once ruled with an iron fist, heading into battle against Chinese contender Yan Xiaonan. So we've got Jessica Andras, Yan Xiaonan, two competitors right on the cusp of a title shot. This matchup really fun stylistically and there's also a lot of relevance to their division. It's an important contest. There is a lot to love about this one at 115 pounds. Now, checking out both ladies' recent form lines. And I'll start with Jessica Andrade, who, as always, has had a very high level of activity. Now, Andrade has been in the flyweight division for quite some time now. Uh, so I'm going to go from her loss in the title fight, flyweight title fight against Valentina Shevchenko. But, of course, Andrade, a former champion, beat Rose Namajunas, slammed her on her head, uh, but then lost the title oh so quickly in the first round against Zhang Weili. Uh, but now Andrade, after a while at 125, she has set her sights on a title fight in this division and a real redemption arc. Now Andrade, she lost a title fight against Valentina Shevchenko. Then she racks up three straight wins, including a very impressive submission win in the strawweight division in a main event 
over Amanda Lamosh. Uh, so that was the only real recent strawweight contest for Andrade, but she's been stating for quite some time now that this is her intention. Uh, three straight wins after the Valentina fight, uh, but now she's coming off a loss up against Erin Blanchfield. Cold-blooded, I think she could be very well the next champion at 125. Uh, but yeah, Andrade, now she is going down to straw weight. Interesting to see what happens as far as the weight cut. Now, Jan Shanan, probably the one that people are talking a lot less about, but I rate her very highly. I honestly think she beats Andrade here. She deserves the next title shot. But then it's interesting, because if Marina Rodriguez beats Verna Drandrioba, or Jandaroba, then Marina's beaten Jan Shanan, so maybe she gets a title shot. But then Amanda Lemos has won against Marina, but then... I mean, Andrade has dominated Amanda Lemos, so it's fucking all over the place, isn't it? But if Andrade wins with a statement victory here, I think she gets next title shot. I really do. Um, But for Yan Xiaonan, she beats Andrade here, and I mean, because of the mix, the amount of wins and losses that have been traded around the division, you may just have to say, fuck it, let's give her the title shot. Imagine Zhang Weili versus Yan Xiaonan. That would be a lot of fun. Just a striking, striking warfare, basically. Now for Yan Xiaonan, she won her six or first six fights in the UFC. Then she drops back-to-back fights against former two-time champion Carla Esparza, and she also lost to the aforementioned Marina Rodriguez. Uh, but most recently, a bounce-back, fantastic, sensational main event win against Mackenzie Dern, a world-class grappler. Amazing submissions. Yan Xiaonan, a blue belt. She might have been upgraded after that one, but she has, she's a striker, Yan Xiaonan. So to not only avoid getting submitted, but to just clearly win that fight in a comprehensive manner, Yan Xiaonan over Mackenzie Dern immediately reestablished the Chinese prospect as a contender in this division. Now, checking the tail of the tape, Andrade 31, Yan 33. The taller and rangier fighter will be Yan Xiaonan from Team Alpha Male, working uh, under Uriah Faber. You want to know who else is a Chinese person who works under Uriah Faber? Song Yadong, coming off a career best performance. So, look, I think they're one of the more slept-on gyms, Team Alpha Male, and Yan Xiaonan, one of the more slept-on fighters in this division, nicknamed Fury. Uh, now she's a striker, like I mentioned. 16, 3, and 1 no contest is her record. So only 3 losses, 16 wins. 7 of those wins were first round knockout victories. Uh, so, you know, 7 knockout victories and 9 decisions. And every time she's won by knockout, it's been in the first round. So heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Imagine if she comes out and knocks Andrade out. Zhang Wei Li did it. This fight. This is probably one of the most underrated ones on the card. There's a lot of other talking points, but gee whiz, this this is where the main card really elevates to that next level, that championship caliber level. Jessica Andrade, of course, a former champion of the division uh, from Piranha, Brazil, training at Piranha Veltudo. Andrade has a fantastic skill set, very mixed, elite Muay Thai, world-class jiu-jitsu, she is a BJJ black belt. As far as Andrade's pro record, 24 wins, 
and 10 losses, uh, but all her losses basically against the highest level of competition. And a lot goes for the 24 wins as well. English slowly failing me. Jessica has nine wins by knockout, eight by submission, and 11 first round finishes. So it's hard to tell whether this one goes the distance. There is a lot of finishing potential, uh, but these are two world-class fighters. So it's really up to the game plan and the composure of the fighters on the night. And when you look at Andrade's losses, seven of her 10 defeats have been stoppages. So Yan Xiaonan, by first round knockout, could be a real value bet. I like Yan Xiaonan in this matchup a lot. I don't know if I'll go for her, but I like Yan Xiaonan a lot. I think she is very underrated. Now, stylistically, I think Jessica Andrade is going to look to mix in the grappling. It's the best way. It's the absolute best way to stop someone like Xiaonan. And we saw when you can get Yan to the mat. I mean, Carla Esparza won by TKO. So if she can do it, Jessica Andrade could definitely do it. But Yan Xiaonan, it's her striking that's the point of difference. And it could be just like a one-trick pony kind of situation where Andrade has it figured out. Uh, but I, I think Andrade is going to struggle for a bit in this matchup, especially given the extra weight cut. Jessica, she's ranked fourth. Yan Xiaonan ranked sixth. This, this is a major matchup in the division. I'm excited for it. And to be honest, these last three fights, which is exactly the way I love it, these have been the hardest to pick on the card. These, up until the very last moment, which is right now, uh, the fights... I'm not locked in. So let's lock it in. Let's lock this one in because these next three are so 50-50, which is the most exciting part about watching it. And of course, this Sunday, UFC 288 Thoughts and Comments podcast, I'll be watching all of the action and talking about it as it all unfolds. So we've got this preview podcast, but also this weekend, about an hour after the card finishes, I'll be releasing a podcast with live reactions to everything that goes down uh, in these three fights. These are the ones I'm most intrigued about, and I'm really keen to have some answers, like see who wins, how they win, and I'll be breaking that down on the Weekend Wrap podcast. But let's stick with the preview. I'm so indecisive right now, but we are going to lock it in. I'm going Jessica Andrade by decision. Now, Yan Xiaonan, a real-life chance in this matchup, but we're locking it in. Jessica Andrade by decision. I'm siding with the big fight experience. She's been in these kind of positions a few more times than Xiaonan has, and I, I think it's gonna be a very tough matchup. This is one I'm not confident in at all, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Jessica Andrade. Not because of name value, not because she's the more known fighter, uh, but I just she has a lot of experience and she's been intent on getting that title shot and potential redemption fight against Zhang Wei Li. And if she's even had an inkling that Zhang Wei Li is in her future, well, in, in the striking department, there are similarities. And it's not because they're both fucking Chinese, I swear to bloody hell, heck, fucking everything. Uh, but in terms of the striking, like they're both super dangerous. That is, and we saw Zhang Wei Li knock Andrade out in the first minute. And Yan Xiaonan possesses seven first round finishes. So yeah, this one is very interesting, but I think Andrade 
will be preparing for that kind of danger of being knocked out. So I think to win, she needs to mix in the grappling. She has elite stand-up, and Muay Thai is her specialty. But I feel like Yan Xiaonan can snatch this one if it goes the distance. So I think if Andrade mixes in the grappling, she can get it done. Let's lock it in before I change my mind. Jessica Andrade over Yan Xiaonan by decision. Let's now get amongst the co-main event of the evening. This one might be short notice, but fucking by golly, uh, this is a huge, huge matchup for the welterweight division. The winner gets the next title fight. It is going to be Colby Covington in the UK against the champion who is experiencing his reign in Leon Rocky Edwards. Winner of that faces the winner of this co-main event. Two fighters who have been making noise. They need that title shot. They are not going to settle for anything else but that title shot. Now they both get their opportunity. Gilbert Durinho burns on a quest for his second title shot. The Killcliffe FC veteran up against Bilal Muhammad. He has been on a huge streak. The only fight he hasn't won in the last few years has been against Leon Edwards. That one ending with an accidental eye poke. So... He didn't lose. There's definitely a storyline there. Either way, Colby Bilal makes sense. Colby Gilbert Burns would be a banger. Leon Edwards. I, I want him to beat Colby straight up. I love Leon Edwards. Uh, but Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns would be fire. Because Colby fucking takes his sweet ass time. He fights guys that are a bit past their prime. He's definitely, like, I think it's fair that he gets number one contender spot. But, I mean, Bilal... Versus Leon Edwards, there's a storyline there. Uh, but let's stick to this one. The co-main event, 34 years old, is Bilal Muhammad. Gilbert Burns, 36 years old. Uh, both men have taken the toughest fights on offer in the division. They have not taken the easy path. And even now, they don't get an immediate title shot. They have to go up against one another. Uh, but it is fantastic to see some reward for their recent efforts. And Bilal and Gilbert are both laser-focused on capturing the belt. So let's have a look at their respective journeys up to this point, starting with Gilbert Durinho Burns. Now, he was a long-time lightweight, but moved up to welterweight in 2019. Four straight wins on the road to his first title shot. Uh, that was against Kamaru Usman. Uh, and along that road, Burns defeated the likes of Gunnar Nelson, Damian Meyer, and he dominated Tyron Woodley over five rounds. Uh, Burns, that was a huge showing. Then he gets the title fight against a former teammate in Kamaru Usman. Uh, loses by technical knockout. He did rock Kamaru early, uh, but he came up short in this emotionally charged first shot at the belt. Uh, so Gilbert, he had to go away, you know, and really, really change a few things after getting finished by Usman. Then he beats Stephen Thompson Three rounds, just dominant grappling. Uh, but at the time, like, I, I was fine with that performance. I was super impressed. But the fans, the casual observer, hated that fight. They thought it was boring. Uh, but I could appreciate it for what it is. You got to do that against Stephen Thompson. Then after that, Gilbert Burns comes at Chemayev. Nobody has brought the fight to Kamzat Chemayev quite like Gilbert Burns did. And that was like, 
the ultimate sign, despite a loss, that the Kamaru Usman thing was behind him. He was coming straight back for the title. Even if Kamaru held on to the belt, Gilbert, he was coming straight back for that title shot. Now, after the Chumayev loss, Gilbert said, I want two finishes and a title shot. Finishes Neil Magny by submission at the start of this year, then a decision just last month against Jorge Masvidal. Now Gilbert Burns finds himself in this title eliminator. He has a 22-5 professional record from Killcliffe FC. That is his gym. Gilbert has 11 first-round finishes on his resume, 6 by knockout, uh, 6 wins by knockout, 9 by submission. So he's a submission specialist. He's explosive. And out of these two fighters, Burns definitely the more likely to achieve a finish. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with power in the hands for days, and Gilbert is ranked fifth in the UFC's official welterweight rankings. Now, let's get on to Bilal, remember the name, Mohammed, uh, and his journey to this title shot. Now, the 34-year-old is from Chicago, Illinois. One of my favorite parts of watching Bilal tape is one of the points in an Apex fight. Someone's chanting like, USA, USA. And Paul Feld is like, Bilal Muhammad is from Chicago. Like, you fucking idiot. This dude is from the USA just because he's, like, Muslim. It's pretty... It's, like, not good. But, yeah, Paul Felder just summed it up. Like, you fucking idiot. Bilal Muhammad's, Muhammad's from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad, which now we're starting to. Now I'm actually, yeah, starting to remember the name. He's from Rufus Port MMA. And I spoke before about this unbeaten run that Bilal Muhammad has been on, on his road to this title eliminator. Um, now, I'll split it up. His winning streak pre the no contest against Leon, and then his run after that Leon fight up to now. Uh, so prior to the Leon Edwards main event opportunity, Bilal Muhammad racked up four straight wins, decision over Curtis Millinder, a third round submission over Takashi Sato and two straight decision wins, uh, so four straight wins over Lyman Good and Diego Lima. Then he gets the opportunity against Leon Edwards, uh, and there was, of course, the eye poke. Bilal Muhammad, though, that was a huge opportunity for him. He came in on short notice, I'm pretty sure, to replace Kamzat Chemaev, and here he is again on short notice. Uh, but after the Leon Edwards fight, another four wins. So eight wins in his last nine appearances, no losses for Bilal Muhammad. A decision win over Damian Meyer, a decision win over Stephen Thompson, in which Bilal Muhammad was dominant. Uh, another dominant decision. Now, yeah, it could be quote-unquote described as a boring fight watching Bilal Muhammad. But I'll tell you what, it's certainly an effective style. I'm not going to knock a guy who can rack up the wins in any fashion. Uh, and it was domination. Like, they weren't just decisions. It was a one-sided performance throughout, which is a good sign. Then he takes on Sean Brady, this undefeated fighter at the time. Takes away Sean Brady's O. Not just that, but he bucks the trend of this Bilal remember the decision chat. And kind of these fans, they were booing him during the press conference, but... Still, he knocked out fucking Sean Brady. And you got to put some respect on his name. Uh, but that just wasn't quite enough to earn him the next title fight. Now, 
He's going up against Gilbert Burns. And another fight at 170, 100% to keep an eye on during International Fight Week. Sean Brady returning to action after the first defeat of his career up against a man who it, it's only a matter of time before we're talking about Jack Della Maddalena in the title conversation. Of course, you've got Shavkat Rokmanov. You still have Kamaru Usman in this division. Kamzat Chemaev, not exactly sure what his future is at 170. There are a stack of stars on the come up as well. Uh, but these are two guys at the absolute top. Cream of the crop. Gilbert Dorino Burns. Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad. Now 16 of 22 wins by decision for Bilal Muhammad. But like I said, effective. Nine fight unbeaten streak. And he finds himself sitting fourth in the UFC's rankings. But that the rankings right now, we're beyond that. This is straight up next win and it's a title shot. So this is big time stuff. What's at stake? The next title shot. It doesn't get any bigger than this other than a championship fight itself. But even then, sometimes the sweetest moments are fights like this, the fight where you earn that next title shot and you have that breakthrough moment of confidence against a fighter who is at the top of their game. I mean, this, this is mouthwatering stuff. Now, stylistically, this is a five-round fight. At Bilal Muhammad's request, Gilbert Burns is always down. This is a five-round fight. 25 minutes of action, which changes the game completely. Now, you'd think it favors Bilal Muhammad. He's a bit of a 25-minute specialist. But Gilbert Burns, I mean, what he did to Tyron Woodley over 25 minutes. This, this is fucking dope. I love that this fight is 25 minutes. Uh, there's going to be plenty of grappling exchanges. Gilbert Burns, his jiu-jitsu. I mean, the finishing intent is there for Dorino, and he could easily get a submission. There are so many possibilities as to what could happen in this matchup. Who's going to win the striking? I mean, Gilbert could do some serious damage, and Bilal may be able to control the fight from top position, but he may lose based on damage. There is 25 minutes to determine a winner in this one. And as the fight's gone, it literally gets harder to pick. This is another 50-50 one, but we're going to lock it in. I'm going to go with another underdog. Bilal Muhammad by decision. That's how he likes to do it. Uh, Gilbert Burns is fucking awesome, though. I would love to see Gilbert Burns get the next title shot. Uh, but, yeah, hard one to tell. I, I think Bilal, though, he has a real style where it's not so much him doing the exciting stuff, but he just totally snuffs the most dynamic fighters and shuts them down completely. So stylistically, this interests me a lot. I cannot wait to talk about the fight on the Weekend Rap Podcast. Now, Burns is so dangerous in every aspect, uh, but I'm going below by decision. I think he can push the pace, and it's a five-round fight. I think rounds four and five... If this goes the distance, go to Bilal Muhammad. So a lot of it is going to be how the fight plays out early. Also, damage, control. And Gilbert's going to have finishing intent. So, I mean, Bilal, he may have the idea of 25 minutes and a bit of a war. Gilbert, he's in there to fucking wrap it up as quickly as possible. Uh, but yeah, I'm locking it in. Bilal Muhammad, by decision, I think he gets the next title shot. 
But yeah, I'd love, I'd personally prefer to see Burns because I think Burns would just produce a more exciting title fight. But on merit, Bilal Muhammad is already there. I think he has the tools to really shut Gilbert Burns down here. Uh, but the funnest part is going to be watching the fight itself. So before we jump into the main event, let's get this co-main event pick done. Gilbert Burns, love him, but we're going Bilal. Remember the name. Remember this decision. Bilal Muhammad by decision. Let's get on to the Bantamweight Championship main event. Alright, we're just over the hour mark. There's plenty to get into with this championship main event, so uh, I'm just going to get straight into it, and then we'll get the prediction out there. Title on the line. Five-round main event in New Jersey. The champion, Aljamain Sterling, up against the returning Triple C, an Olympic gold medalist, a dual division UFC championship, a fight IQ that is unparalleled and retired no longer. Searching for his seventh straight victory and his second reign as UFC bantamweight champion, if you don't know who I'm talking about by now, I am talking about Henry Cejudo. He'll be taking on the champion, Aljamain Sterling, defending his belt and riding an eight-fight win streak into this fight. Just let me get this one fucking out there, because <clears throat> that one, that one, I could have paused, but I was like, you know what, just fucking bear with me. Just let me get that one out there so we can storm through this main event. Uh, but Aljamain Sterling, whilst Cejudo has been away, Eljo has held this division down. The most stacked division worldwide, the UFC bantamweight ranks, and Funkmaster enters New Jersey this weekend with one goal. To finish Cejudo, to defend the belt for a third time, and to cement himself as one of the all-time greats at 135 pounds. Now, leading in to his first title fight, Sterling submits Corey Sandhagen, who is still definitely on the radar and still evolving, submits Corey Sandhagen in the first round. Then, of course, I'm pretty sure we all, or most of us know, about the Piotr Jan fight, the illegal knee. Eljo captures the belt by disqualification. Uh, but more importantly, after that, and after a fair layoff as well, over a year, a split decision win over Piotr Jan, that one hurt me. That was, I would have had a perfect card if Jan had won by decision, and I would have won 14,000. But I won a fair bit that day because I got everything else right, but I remember that. And I just had to be like, you know what, full respect to Aljamain Sterling, which is something that is lacking from fans. MMA, a lot of the fans are really great, but like when you look in comment sections, it's such a waste of time. Most of it is just very toxic. Uh, but he beat Piotr Jan twice, technically, then he beats TJ Dillashaw, who is coming in with shoulder problems. Uh, but Aljo, a win is a win. He is still the champion. And taking him on is a man that never lost the belt. He retired at the top of his game. This is the Olympic gold medal winning wrestler, Henry Cejudo. He walked away in the midst of such a tremendous run that included finishes in his most recent three fights. Now, looking at some of his past form... Let's go back to August 2018 against Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson. Not just 
the greatest flyweight of all time, but one of the people who does get mentioned in the conversation about greatest of all time. So Demetrius Johnson, that is how highly the mixed martial arts world thinks of him. And he held a finish over Cejudo. The second time round, belt on the line. It was a masterclass fight of the night from both men. Henry Cejudo gets his hand raised. He captures the flyweight championship to go along with his Olympic gold medal. That was my chair. No, I didn't fart. I swear. I swear. Uh, then TJ Dillashaw, a man Sterling beat. He fucking... Henry Cejudo knocked him out in 32 seconds. And this was the whole EPO shit and TJ was fucked. That was all pretty fucked. But Henry Cejudo was like, I'm not fucking... I'm not fucking around with this. Knocked him out. 32 seconds. Cejudo defends the flyweight title. Beats the bantamweight champion. Then he goes up to bantamweight. Beats Marlon Marias. He is the champion, defends a belt against Dominic Cruz. Somewhat controversial shot stoppage, but I, I think it was fair. I went back and watched it. I think it was a fair stoppage. Uh, and Henry Cejudo, I mean, he just, he retired there. He's had a family. He's, he's done a bit of his life shit. And now he's back. He's a competitor at heart. He just needed a break. But Aljamain Sterling hasn't had a break. He has been fighting the best every fight. So this is such a great matchup. It's been a long time since there's been a main event that is just this down to the wire. I have genuinely no idea who's going to win. Let's check the tail of the tape for this main event. Sterling with a 22-3 and record. Henry Cejudo with a 16-2 and record. Sterling 33 years old, and he will have a serious height and reach advantage. Much bigger frame. He, he's a lot bigger than Cejudo. So that could come into play in this contest. Uh, for Cejudo, he is 36 years old. But I'll get into their profiles a little bit more in depth. And let's talk about the champ first. Put some respect on this guy's name. He's a phenomenal fighter. He has earned this position. He was not fighting cans on the road to the belt. And the illegal knee was unfortunate. But along this road, Elger has been faultless. He's taken on really tough challenges along the entire way. He's been active as much as possible outside of injury. He is, he's not said no to the toughest guys. You'd have to say during this run against Puerto Yan, Puerto Yan was considered, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's at the time, the best bantamweight in the world after Cejudo retired. And he held the belt for a bit. Sterling's beaten him twice. I uh, said, so this is just a phenomenal, phenomenal affair. Then you throw Murab Dalshvili into the mix. I mean, just incredible. Sarah Longo fight team with the two best bantamweights in the world right now. And just the landscape of the division is very intriguing. Now back to Funkmaster. He is a New Yorker. And when fighting in New Jersey, the champion is nine wins and zero losses. So that's an interesting note right there. Sterling on an eight fight win streak. The current UFC bantamweight champion. And his fighting style is very unpredictable. Now, Cejudo is someone, as the fight goes on, he has such a sound fight IQ that he'll download information and he'll start to piece uh, Sterling's game apart. But Aljamain, what works in his credit is that he has such unorthodox striking, so it's really hard to tell what his next move is going to be. He's got wrestling, but, I mean, Cejudo's just on a completely different wavelength as far as wrestling. 
But if Cejudo, I mean, if Sterling can get the back, he has that backpack style. And if this goes the distance, then that could really work in his favor. And it could also put him in positions to finish this fight, which I know, Aljamain, that is his intention. He represents Serra Longo fight team. Like I said, just an incredible job that they are doing with Marab waiting in the wings. And Sterling, across his UFC run, has gone 14 and 3. Outside of the UFC, never lost a fight. Now let's check some accomplishments for Aljamain Sterling, because he's fucking got a few, just like uh, his opponent tonight, or this weekend. It's fucking not tonight, I wish it was tonight. Not far away though. Now, uh, Aljamain Sterling, current bantamweight champion, two successful defenses, one-time performance of the night winner for his submission over Corey Sandhagen. He's tied with TJ Dillashaw for most wins in UFC bantamweight division history with 13. That's a lot of wins in a fucking dangerous division. Aljamain is a former Cage Fury fighting championship champion and a former Ring of Combat champ. This guy's a champ. He had championship vibes coming into the UFC and nothing but tough tests along the way. And here he is. He's the fucking champion. And Henry Cejudo has just come back into the mix. And Aljamain will definitely take that personally. Like, I've been fighting. I've been taking damage. Now you just want to come back and go straight into the title fight? Both guys have a lot to prove. That's what makes this an exciting contest. Now for Sterling's pro record, 22 wins, 3 losses. He has only been finished once. That being by Marlon Marias, which is interesting considering Henry Cejudo finished Marlon Marias in the third round of their fight. Uh, Sterling, three wins by knockout slash TKO, eight submission wins. Now he's talked about getting the knockout here, uh, like TKO probably. He said Cejudo, he just kind of wants to lay some punches on him. But submission history would tell us that Sterling's best path to a finish. So I'm interested to see what route he decides to take. And if he can even get Cejudo to the ground. 25 minutes though, lot to, a lot of time to work with. Aljamain has 10 victories by decision. And of course one disqualification victory. Which I've already spoken about. But now let's speak about the challenger. Henry the Messenger Cejudo. From Phoenix, Arizona. Training and training a lot of people as well. Uh, at Fight Ready Gym. He, he's had a lot of people go to him. Henry Cejudo for big title fights, world-class main events. I mean, this guy is next level. His fight IQ, his knowledge of the game. I mean, John Jones, there was some interesting footage of Cejudo with John Jones, and it was pre the Garn fight, but it was released after the fight had happened. And the way Jones finished it was like very similar to how Cejudo was kind of breaking it down to him. So this guy just has a mind unlike anyone else. And some people have these kinds of minds, but it's one thing to have the mind, it's another thing to have the physical uh, element and aspect of it, which he has, he's a gold medal fucking Olympian, he's a two different division UFC champion, so he has the mind, but he also, more importantly, has the physical prowess, does triple C. He's got gold medals coming out the fucking wazoo in wrestling, uh, like I've said a million billion times, and everyone else has, he's a fucking Olympic gold medalist. He went to Beijing, China. USA. He had USA vibes. I'm not from USA, so I don't, but he fucking did. Pretty sure Cormier was there as well. 
Albert Cejudo is just fucking, he's a gold medalist. He's a gold medalist. He's like Kurt Angle, but fucking hell. He's also a gold medal uh, Olympic wrestler. He's a former bantamweight champion, uh, Cejudo, not Kurt Angle. And he never lost the belt. Said it a few times. Uh, this is just his accomplishments, so that's why I'm well, I'm going back through it. He has a 10-2 and 2 UFC record. He's got world-class wrestling, world-class striking, world-class endurance. And his professional record, he has 16 wins. 8 by knockout, 8 by decision, no submission victories. Two career losses for Cejudo, and they were back-to-back as well at flyweight. He got TKO'd in the first round against Mighty Mouse, uh, but went on to avenge that loss and a split decision against Joseph Benavidez. Six wins and two belts since that point for Henry Cejudo. Throw a retirement, a family, a few other things in the mix, and now he's back for more, more competition. And you can't get any better competition at 135 pounds than the champion, Aljamain Sterling. Now, I'm going to just quickly look at stylistically how the fight might play out. I'll be quick because we're about half an hour. And by the numbers, UFC.com, looking at some of their statistics, they've both had plenty of fights. Although for Henry, a lot of those fights in the flyweight division, uh, so that needs to be noted. Now, wrestling element, stylistically, biggest takeaway going into this fight, Henry Cejudo with over 90% takedown defense. The most important element of this fight is wrestling. If Aljo can get on top, that, that's his path to victory. Henry Cejudo, though, he has hands. He has, he has everything. He has absolutely everything. And if Aljamain can't take him down, what is his plan B? Stylistically, the wrestling, I think, is what edges the win here for either man. But Henry, he stated he wants the knockout. He's got the mad wrestling advantage, does Cejudo. Uh, he's also got the striking edge. Although Aljo, as I've mentioned, he's the larger fighter. So there is potential for physical dominance. Many of Henry's fights have been up against flyweights. Aljamain has been taking on big boys the whole way through. Uh, so that could hold him in very good stead. Now checking out by the numbers, some of their statistics, over a very large sample size, Henry Cejudo. I mean, he is aiming to create a huge legacy here with the championship win. Five first round finishes to his name. He has 46% striking accuracy. So that's less than Aljamain. Uh, but in terms of quality of strikes over quantity, I really think Cejudo's striking is just on another level. Now his takedown accuracy is 34%. So for Cejudo, He's not as much concerned about the wrestling. And I think if it goes there, he wins that realm anyway. Uh, but Cejudo, the striking and ground advantage. So that seems to work in his favor. But I just think Aljamain, he's going to be up for this. I think I really fucking don't know who's going to win this. Now for Cejudo, lands just under four significant strikes per minute on average. Uh, absorbs just under three. So he's dishing out more than he's copying. Uh, per 15 minutes, Cejudo averages two takedowns. So yeah, that, that'll probably come in into play. Like, as I said, wrestling is the point of difference here. Uh, but yeah, Henry's just fucking got all the tools. The key statistic 
for Henrik Cejudo. 93% takedown defense. So Aljamain, it's it's going to be very hard. Now, I'm thinking to Marab and Jose Aldo and how Aldo has remarkable takedown defense as well. Similar numbers. Now, Marab, a teammate of Sterling, wasn't able to take Aldo down to the mat, but he was able to hold him up against the cage. Now, that may be considered boring, but if, if Sterling has some of those moments where he's controlling the fight up against the cage, uh, that could steal at least a round somewhere in there uh, if this is a close fight. And I, I think working with Mirab Devashvili is exceptional. Like, think about how Mirab fought against Pyotr Jan last time out. And I just think those two working together, it is a match made in heaven. Uh, and in terms of striking for Cejudo, going back to Henry, uh, it's, he has 61% of strikes standing, 17% on the ground, 22% in the clinch. So I think the clinch is going to come into this, especially if Eljo struggles to take Henry down to the mat. Uh, but let's talk about the champs numbers. 51% striking accuracy, only 24% takedown accuracy though. 24% takedown accuracy against 93% takedown defense. On paper, Henry Cejudo should win this. But it's just so much more complex than that. It's fucking... It's blowing my mind. It truly is. It's not the biggest or most exciting fight. But the closer I get in the notes, in the tape, and now doing this preview, I'm, I'm like so keen for it. It doesn't quite have like that John Jones, Cyril Garn hype or some of these other huge main events. But as we draw closer, it's, it's so perfect because I just don't know what's going to happen. Any method of victory could happen. We could see a draw. We could see a no contest, illegal fucking knee. Uh, we could see Sterling by knockout, technical knockout. We could see Sterling by submission. He's won that way eight times. We could see Sterling win by decision, uh, get Henry to the mat, use that backpack style. And conversely, on the other side, Henry Cejudo could knock Aljamain out, especially if Aljamain's had a rough weight cut. Now, Henry doesn't have any submission wins on his record, but I am not ruling out a submission win for him either, or a decision win. So like, ah, this fucking squeaky chair, blimey. Uh, I'm not ruling anything out. Like, everything is on the table. This is a prime main event. I'm really hyped for it. Now, path for victory for Aljamain Sterling. He needs to gain control and top position. And that's the whole stylistic challenge here if he wants to keep the belt. To get a guy down to the ground who just is levels above in wrestling and to maintain top position. That's my biggest question. And we'll have answers on the Thoughts and Comments podcast. Now, on average, Funkmaster lands just under five strikes per minute, and he absorbs just over two. So he's got pretty sound defense, uh, and Sterling averages two takedowns per 15 minutes. So both guys roughly in the same area, but given Cejudo's remarkable defense, you'd have to assume if someone takes this fight to the mat, it's going to be Cejudo. And he may even do it by knocking Sterling down with his hands. Now, final thoughts and points, and then I'm going to bash out this prediction. Uh, of course, the Thoughts and Comments podcast this weekend, straight after the card, I'll be going through everything. So, very, very intrigued by this main event. And, yeah, these are all questions, so there's a lot of speculation. 
the Thoughts and Comments podcast, more live reactions, talking about the fight itself, talking about what's next. I think Sean O'Malley, probably next for the winner of this one. Uh, and all sorts. Just it's It's a lot of fun. And this podcast is all about asking the questions, the what ifs, the what could happen. Uh, but the thoughts and comments is more, we've seen what happens. And yeah, analyzing that, really digging into that. I love getting the answers. And there is nothing I'm going to love more this weekend than getting an answer to what the flyming... F- I was going to say fuck, and then I was like, should I go play PG? And then I came up with flyming. Flyming. Fucking hell, flyming. Anyway, that is not important. What is important is this main event. It's a legacy fight for Cejudo. It's a legacy fight for Aljamain Sterling. Both men on a mission, and Sterling on a mission to earn respect that I believe he deserves. Now, who wins? I'm completely split. Both men, I think, more than capable of getting the finish. I'm going to say the fight goes the distance only for one reason. I genuinely have no idea who gets it done here. I'm really excited to watch, and I'm really excited to talk about it on the Thoughts and Comments podcast. But after all the tape, after all the notes, after fucking fucking ridiculous, you know, being tired for work the next day because I stayed up a bit too late thinking, who the fuck's going to win this match? And all the possibilities. There are so many possibilities. There could be an early finish, uh, but I think this is going to be fight of the night. And I'm just saying, I, like, Henry Cejudo by knockout or Aljamain by technical knockout. Those are finishes that I was thinking about a lot. But because I just cannot, could not choose who I thought was going to win, but I have locked in a pick but because it was so hard to pick. I was like, you know what? I see this being a five-round fight of the night. So, yeah, decision win. Henry Cejudo. I'm going to say by split decision because I'm so split on this pick. There were three options for Henry. A knockout victory in the first three rounds. I like that. A submission. Throw a submission in there because I thought it may be juicy odds. Or a decision win, which is what I've locked in on. The beauty of this championship fight is that it is completely up for grabs. Better man on the night will remain unbeaten in championship fights in bantamweight history. I'm going Henry Cejudo, the messenger, by decision. And new, and new, as he was saying at the podcast. It's a couple of hours before the weigh-ins, and I would have loved to make my main event pick after the weigh-ins, but I just thought, let's get the podcast out there, and why not just, why not just be decisive? So um, I'm going Henry Cejudo by decision. Put that in your air holes, save that in your brains. And yeah, hopefully the picks are back up and running this weekend. I'll have accountability on thoughts and comments if all the predictions I've given on this podcast suck. I'll just have to be like, oh my gosh, well, I suck, don't I? Uh, but if they're good, I won't brag. We'll talk about the fights. I'll talk about the fights and really highlight what's important, this UFC event, because it's not about me. It's about this fucking UFC 288 card at the Prudential Center. Let's lock it in. Ahead of the Thoughts and Comments podcast, Henry Cejudo, by decision. And lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are two fantastic ways, sensational ways, that you can support this podcast. Uh, Instagram. If you have Instagram. If you don't have Instagram, that's so fine. And even if you're like, no, I'm not going to follow you, piss off. That's also fine. But if you want to follow us, 
keep up to date. We've got a lot of things in the works that'll be up on the Instagram, uh, different forms of content outside of the podcast, uh, including UFC stuff. So at Not Just a Sports Report, best place to find that. And you could also follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on right now, and you'll be able to see as soon as the UFC 288 Thoughts and Comments podcast is out, and I'll be covering everything from the early prelims all the way to this huge championship main event. And that is it for today. So now there is nothing else to do but sign off, enjoy your weekend, uh, take care, and most importantly, get amongst the fights this weekend. They are going to be incredible. We are going to enjoy them. And I will check back in this Sunday for the Thoughts and Comments podcast. 